Saint Anselm once said, disasters teach us humility. Welcome to the 75th episode of St. Diffinus Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because in our most desperate hours, God is calling us closer to him, closer than we could ever understand. And in those moments where we feel most abandoned, he is mysteriously closer to us than ever before. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, there was buzz created around Catholic social media when a well-known professional evangelizer put out a video on anxiety that received some backlash and the tweet promoting it was eventually deleted. The video shared some important, quote, truths, end quote, on anxiety, and while the intention was probably to help people feel more at ease and more prepared to cope with stress and worry, it actually ended up alienating those of us who suffer and making it sound like anxiety is stupid and unnatural, so just stop worrying. These kind of things pop up in faith circles from time to time, and each time they come around, they do damage not only to the suffering individuals who run into them, but also to the church as a whole. As the ideas presented continue to trivialize mental illness, simplify mental health symptoms, and increase the stigma associated with being overwhelmed, reaching out for help, and feeling hopeless. So without going on too much, let's just say this. Anxiety is a complicated mental health symptom that most of us have dealt with from time to time. Is anxiety stupid? No. Sometimes the thoughts that trigger our anxiety might be irrational, but that doesn't mean anxiety is stupid, and it's certainly not unnatural. In fact, anxiety is very natural and even necessary in certain circumstances. Our struggle pops up when anxiety begins to take over our lives, when we can't relax, can't feel at peace, and even get to the point where we experience panic attacks that leave us feeling like we're literally going to die. Sometimes I wonder if the people who put out these kind of videos have ever experienced a panic attack or had a loved one go through this kind of experience. If they had, they certainly would go around thinking that you could simply say, look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. They can't think that would be the answer that we've all been looking for. If overcoming anxiety were nothing more than a matter of being smart or reading some scripture or just deciding to stop being anxious, we'd all be fine. No one wants to be anxious. Please know, if you're experiencing anxiety and have tried all the coping skills you can find and nothing seems to be working, reach out for help. Reach out for therapy. Reach out for medication. Reach out to receiving the loving embrace of Jesus through friends, family, and helping professionals around you. Because that's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to experience peace. And that peace may be waiting for you through reaching out for help. On to the next topic, a closely related one that came my way. How can we help those who we love who are suffering from anxiety? If the things we heard in this video aren't the right things to say, what are some of the right things to do and say? So my first thought is to help 
advocate for those loved ones who are suffering, offer to help them reach out for professional help, go with them to their first appointment. It can be scary to go to a clinic or a therapist's office on your own. Ask them what you can do to help. Ask if they want advice and help coming to a solution or if they just want someone to listen and sit with them. Just being present with them is a powerful way to show you care. Be there for them without judgment, without stigma, and trying your best to be as understanding as possible, like letting people know you understand that their anxiety may lead to them not returning calls or texts, etc., and that that's okay. Cutting them some slack, all of this is super helpful. If they're asking for you to give them advice or help find a solution, a good idea is to take some time when they're feeling okay to review some healthy coping skills that have worked for them in the past. For example, deep breathing, going for a walk, listening to music. That way, when the anxiety comes, you can give them ideas that have helped them before and they won't have to come up with things on their own when their brain is already overworked from simply dealing with the anxiety. All of these things can be so powerful, and they're all ways that Christ can act through you to help your sisters and brothers. It's a beautiful thing. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Marianne Cope. Born in 1838 in what is now present-day Germany, she was baptized as Barbara Kub. Her last name was changed to Cope one year later when her family moved to Utica, New York. When she was in eighth grade, her father developed a disability that led to her having to leave school and work in a textile factory to support her family. When her father died in 1862, all of the children in the family were fully grown and taking care of themselves, and Barbara was able to follow the religious calling she'd been experiencing for quite some time. She eventually became a Franciscan sister and took the new name Marianne. She was a teacher, a principal, became a member of the governing council of her congregation, helped found two hospitals, and eventually became the superior general of her congregation. In 1883, however, she received a plea from the king of Hawaii to come and help with those suffering from leprosy. Many religious congregations had already turned him down, but Marianne was enthusiastic and replied, quote, I am hungry for the work, and I wish with all my heart to be one with the chosen ones whose privilege it will be to sacrifice themselves for the salvation of the souls of the poor islanders. I'm not afraid of any disease, hence it would be my greatest delight even to minister to the abandoned. She cared for Father Damien when he was dying and took charge after his death. She died herself in 1918 and was canonized in 2011 by Pope Benedict XVI. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Lord Jesus, you gave us your commandment of love of God and neighbor and identified yourself in a special way with the most needy of your people. Hear our prayer. Faithful to your teaching, St. Marianne Cope loved and served her neighbor, especially the most desolate outcast, giving herself generously and heroically for those affected by leprosy. She alleviated their physical and spiritual sufferings, thus helping them to accept their affliction with patience. Her care and concern for others manifested the great love you have for us. Through her merits and intercession, grant us the favors which we continually ask of you, so that the people of God following the apostolate may practice charity toward all according to your word and example. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. 
Eleanor gets us started. How do you explain public associations of the faithful? I'm entering the secular Franciscans, and I'd like to talk to my therapist about the weight of that decision. So the short version I usually give to non-Catholics, that it's a structured kind of like civic organization, isn't really going to cut it. On the other hand, I find sometimes it can be difficult to explain to the uninitiated without making it sound like I'm in a cult. And once you've said something that could reasonably be followed up with the words, but it's not a cult, you're already lost. <laughs> Let's start by praying for everyone in the difficult position of having to explain something detailed and delicate to their therapist in an effort to get the support and help they need, that they may have the words to explain, and that their therapist may have the ears to hear and listen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thanks for sending this in, Eleanor. This is hard and something that I've had to work through on my own. And I totally agree with you that A, it can sound like a cult when you're trying to explain it. And B, once it sounds like a cult or you have to say it isn't a cult, you have definitely lost, like you said. <laughs> so I think the best approach is to start off by explaining that within the Catholic Church, there are a multitude of different spiritualities, and regular folks who aren't priests or nuns can feel called to one of these spiritualities and can engage in some of the practices of that spirituality or group in a small way within the context of our normal life. For example, saying specific prayers or reading specific spiritual books or attending specific meetings outside of normal Normal everyday Catholicism. While it's nothing like being a priest or nun, it still does come with its own set of rules we need to follow, which is an important thing to consider when making a decision to join. And even more importantly, as Catholics, we're always trying to figure out the difference between what God may be calling us to and what we may think or wish God was calling us to. And this is where the real discernment takes place. And it's hard and messy and frustrating because God doesn't tell you flat out very often. And it causes stress, second guessing, anxiety, and all the rest. And that's what we need help with. I would say it's important to let your therapist know that you want help coping with the fallout from working through this decision, not that you need help with actually making the decision, if that makes sense. Therapists can always help with symptoms of stress, anxiety, worry, second-guessing, etc., no matter where they come from or why they pop up, but the context will help, and I hope my explanation didn't sound too culty. Anonymous is up next. Do you have any suggestions for a 19-year-old who exhibits symptoms of bipolar disorder and who was just thrown out of his second dual diagnosis center, refusing meds, disruptive behavior, and stealing? Cannot drive, can't hold a job, parents are desperate and out of ideas, a history of saving this young man from consequences of his actions, especially from dad, school, police, never the child's fault. Now the young man has become unable to function and won't cooperate with treatment. I suggested engaging crisis intervention to let the courts handle this, but dad is not willing. Let's start by joining together in prayer for everyone involved in this situation, the 19-year-old first and foremost, their family, and everyone who wants what's best for everyone else involved, that the Blessed Virgin Mary may intercede on all of their behalf. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Thank you so much for sending this in. And please know that we're praying for you. And I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there who have this same kind of question and situation. A couple of definitions to help get us started. First, bipolar disorder, as it's a diagnosis that gets thrown around a lot these days. Psychom will help us with that. To be diagnosed with bipolar disorder, a person must have experienced at least one episode of mania or hypomania. To be considered mania, the elevated, expansive, or irritable mood must last for at least one week and be present most of the day, nearly every day. To be considered hypomania, the mood must last for at least four consecutive days and be present most of the day, almost every day. During this period, three or more of the following symptoms must be present and represent a significant change from usual behavior. Number one, inflated self-esteem or grandiosity. Number two, a decreased need for sleep. Number three, increased talkativeness. Number four, racing thoughts. Number five, distracted easily. Number six, an increase in goal-directed activity or psychomotor agitation. Number seven, engaging in activities that hold the potential for painful consequences like unrestrained spending sprees. The depressive side of bipolar disorder is characterized by a major depressive episode resulting in depressive mood or loss of interest or pleasure in life. The DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Book for Mental Health, states that a person must experience five or more of the following symptoms in two weeks to be diagnosed with a major depressive episode. Depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Loss of interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities. Significant weight loss or decrease or increase in appetite. Engaging in purposelessness uh, purposeless movements such as pacing the room, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness, recurrent thoughts of death, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or a suicide attempt. So both of those episodes need to be present uh, for a, diagno a diagnosis of bipolar disorder to be given just so we can have um, you know, a little understanding of what bipolar disorder actually is. Next up, the phrase dual diagnosis was used in the question. And while this can mean a couple of different things, the most common meaning and the one I think they're talking about here is that someone is living with a mental illness and a substance use disorder at the same time. According to helpguide.org, roughly 50% of individuals with severe mental disorders are affected by substance abuse, 37% of alcohol abusers, and 53% of drug abusers also have at least one serious mental illness. With that out of the way, let's start with this. Natural consequences seem to have the biggest impact on folks in terms of helping them to realize they've got to do something to turn things around. However, as a parent myself, I know how hard it is to allow one's child to face those consequences. I always want to save and protect my children no matter what, and sometimes this can lead to them not experiencing the consequences they really need to learn from. In most of these situations I've worked with families on, it comes down to one position that we need to take to help our suffering loved ones. If you're going to live in our home or be a part of our lives or enjoy our family activities together, you are going to have to work with someone to get your emotional well-being back on track. In the case of having bipolar disorder and substance use issues, this has to mean taking medication and getting help to stay sober. At some point, families have to do this. They have to say, we love you and we want to be a part of your life. But when you don't take care of yourself in those two ways, you are choosing to have us have to make a decision to keep distance for our own mental and emotional well-being. It's so hard. 
But the hope here would be that this encourages people to be more willing to reach out for help. And once they're getting that help, the help that they need, they can learn the skills to stay sober and start feeling better after finding the right medication or combination of medications. And then they'll start to see how valuable both of these things are and can start taking steps toward moving in the direction of wellness. Lastly, I can't recommend NAMI enough. The National Alliance on Mental Illness is an organization of families who are there to help and support families going through this experience, and they're an incredible resource to those in this or similar situations. So please look them up, N-A-M-I. A different anonymous wraps us up. I live with a non-Catholic, non-religious person who's hostile to the faith, especially as it relates to the handling of COVID. We live in Minnesota, where back in May, the bishops planned to start masses without the governor's permission when he would not meet with the bishops. She has this view that all Catholics now do not care about COVID precautions, refuse to be vaccinated, and refuse to wear masks. She needs control over everything in her life and occasionally will grill me about every person I've ever had contact with and every person they've had contact with. I have depression that I go to therapy for and take meds for, and this is really taking a toll on me. I hear her on the phone blaming me for why she can't see her family. Quote, my roommate works at a grocery store and goes to church, so I can't come home and see you. I'm at my wits end with communicating with her and am having a hard time creating emotional boundaries when she'll grill me about who I'm in contact with. I only see my boyfriend and his household in person, and every other time I see someone, it's masked and distanced. Any tips for dealing with an anti-Catholic roommate or one that's highly controlling uh, or tips for making emotional boundaries? Let's uh, pray together for Anonymous, for her roommate, for everyone involved in this situation, that God may bring peace and comfort into the hearts of everyone this very moment. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. I sincerely hope that our prayers help bring you some peace. Please know that we'll be keeping it up. And please know that the situation you are in, uh, it feels highly toxic. So cut yourself some slack when it comes to your emotions as you try to navigate this situation. My immediate thought is that you should try to get out of this situation if you can. It sounds like there's very little coming out of it that's good for you. And the stress that you're being put through feels like a lot for you to have to deal with. You deserve so much better. That being said, we can't always just escape from a bad roommate situation, so let's look at some ideas for trying to set and maintain boundaries when we're in a relationship with extremely negative and controlling individuals. We'll get some help from Brit.co to stay focused. Number one, pay attention to your body's signals. Your body may know long before your brain does that changes need to be made in the dynamic between you and a friend. Our need to set limits often first show up as stress, so physical manifestations such as an upset stomach, a rapid heartbeat, tense muscles, or a headache may be the first indicator that it's time for some limits, particularly if those symptoms tend to present themselves whenever you're around the person. Two, consider the history. It's not that people can't evolve, learn from their previous mistakes, and become better friends over time, but if the pal you're dealing with has a history of upsetting you, establishing parameters could be a good idea. While it might not initially seem so, it's actually a positive step to take for both 
parties involved. When we feel guilty for setting limits, we should remind ourselves that some people don't know when they ask too much of others, so it's our job to show them how to be healthier. Number three, check the fear factor. Do you feel nervous about sharing your honest opinion with your pal? Those underlying nerves are another signal that boundaries could be necessary. Number four, master the boundaries vocabulary. When you decide it's time to talk to your pal about expectations, use phrases like, it makes me uncomfortable when, I want to share with you how I'm feeling about, or we need to come up with a different plan because this isn't working for me. Don't set up a confrontation. So like there's no need to send your roommate a formal invitation to some sort of official boundaries talk. Uh, alternatively, bring up the boundary in the language discussed just right now in the appropriate context. So like in the moment, that's the important time to bring it up. I know it's hard and it takes all of our emotional strength, but if you bring it up like uh, four days later when there's no problem happening in that moment, it can feel very different like an attack, you know? But if it's brought up right in that moment saying, this thing right here is making me feel it's a lot easier to work through. Uh, and then keep your self-talk positive. As you begin to prioritize your own life ahead of your friend's needs, you might uh, find doubt and self-judgment creep in. Stop it in its tracks. In the early stages of establishing limits, remind yourself as often as needed that healthy relationships involve two people who equally respect the other's needs for personal time and space. Practice communicating parameters with confidence so that you're not constantly afraid that doing so will put your relationship at risk. And last, don't try to become someone's therapist. Be honest with your friend, in this case your roommate, about what kind of problems you actually feel able to handle and what times of day you feel able to handle them. You got to hang in there, Anonymous. We'll be praying for you and, and really hoping for a resolution. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dimphna.